Hey everyone and welcome to the Tom's Hardware Show. I'm your host Sharon Harding and today we're discussing AMD's latest APU, hacking the Super Nintendo Classic and checking out a new gaming chair. So we are live everybody and we are taking questions from the audience. So if you have anything you'd like to ask, just drop your question into the chat on Facebook, YouTube, wherever you're watching this live, and we'll try to discuss it on air. So we have a special guest to welcome back to the show today. And I'm extra excited because I was in here last time you were on the show. So super excited to welcome Contraviction. How are you? I'm good, how are you doing? Doing good, glad to have you. Um, we also have Tom's Hardware Deputy Managing Editor, Paul Alcorn here. What's going on, Paul? Not much. Not much, but you, I know you're always busy because this week AMD released the Ryzen 5 5600G. This is an APU with six cores, 12 threads, aimed at desktop PC users seeking integrated graphics and a bargain price. So the chip will be available to PC builders in August for $259, $259. But Paul, being Paul, has already tested the chip. Um, so let's start with gaming, Paul. What can you tell us about this APU's gaming performance? It's really surprisingly good. So um, AMD has released these chips for pre-built desktops, um, the 5700G and the 5600G. And um, they haven't been released to retail yet, but they've been selling in OEM desktops for like for about three months. But we finally got a hold of one. There's been shortages. They've been hard to get. So we're ahead of the official reviews for both the 5700G and the 5600G. And, um, you know, the basic idea here is they come with RX Vega graphics paired with Zen 3 cores. Um, it's AMD's first update to their APUs for retail, for desktop PCs, or well, the desktop PC market, that you can actually buy at a store since 2019. So that's that's quite a while. They've been through three chip generations since they've updated their APUs that you can actually go buy at a store. They did do an update, but it only went to OEM market. So um, it's pretty pointless for enthusiasts. So we went ahead and we tested it. And the 5700G, the bigger one that we tested uh, two weeks ago is the fastest integrated graphics that for a desktop PC that money can buy. There's no doubt about it. Um, it. It easily beats everything. It beats AMD's previous gen stuff pretty handily. But the 56, but you know, that's going to cost you $359. That's pretty expensive. Now, the Ryzen 5 5600G comes with one less CU, a compute unit on the GPU, so it has a little bit less GPU uh, horsepower. And the iGPU frequency is just a tad bit lower, um, and it has two fewer CPU cores, all of which means you're going to save $100. So you're going to pay $100 less. But in our testing, what we found out is even though you pay $100 less and it's only $259, you get about 96% of the performance of the 5700G. I mean, it's basically all there at stock. It's, you know, 4% difference. So given the kind of performance that it puts out, it's stellar. And um, the price is, well, that might be a little debatable. But considering that you don't have to pay 359 you get the performance of that chip, it's really good. So, uh, like you said, Paul, AMD hasn't sold APUs to PC builders since 2019, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, 
why do you think they decided now is a good time to, you know, change that and make this APU available to builders? Well, what AMD is trying to do is build relationships with OEM PC builders because that is a very big part of the market. It's much bigger than the enthusiast market. It's about, you know, it's twice as large. They're, you know, for every one chip they sell to us enthusiasts at the store, they're selling two pre-built systems. So when AMD sold the previous generation into OEMs, really there wasn't as much demand for APUs, I, I would say, as part of it. Um, they don't sell for a whole lot of money. They're, they're typically cheaper. They're definitely cheaper products. So AMD doesn't make as much money off of them. So it's not a real big reason to do it is, is to, you know, make profit. And I think that's kind of the decision why they decided they figured the older ones were good enough. So they did three chip generations since then. Um, Zen 3, XT, and or they did Zen 2, XT, and Zen 3 since they have done the last update for APUs. But now the you know the market dynamics have changed. Everybody could use an APU because of the GPU shortage, so they can charge more money for it. So now all of a sudden they can make more more margin off of it. Um, and additionally, AMD has some problems with their product stack. In order to get one of their new CPUs, the entry level price is $300. And they have received a lot of criticism from enthusiasts about that because that's an expensive chip. So if you want a Zen 3 chip, that's the least you'll pay. So the 5600 comes in and plugs that, kind of lowers that price of entry. And then you have the 5700. There's a big $150 gap between um, their 5600X and 5800X, another thing that they've received some criticism about because there's this huge price gap. So the, the bigger, faster one, the 5700G drops in right between those two. Kind of solves a bunch of problems for them and hopefully for us. Yeah, we talk about different ways builders can use um, this APU. And one of the things APUs generally are great for are small form factor PCs, mini PCs. And what is a gaming console if not really just a small mini PC, right? So contradiction, I'm curious, um, have you ever built a mini PC before? Or would you consider doing that with something like this, um, this chip with its integrated graphics? Well, um I've never built a PC before. My best friend, uh, bless his heart, has built my PC. So I think over time, uh, if my current PC can handle it, then we can be able to add it if it's compatible. But uh, I wouldn't say that I wouldn't, you know, if it's if it makes it more powerful and a lot faster than it is currently, then I don't see why not. Do you have any tips for her, Paul? I think built, starting off with a small form factor PC might give you some cuts and some headaches as you're working in such a tiny space if it's your first build, right? Yeah, mm -hmm. that, yeah, that might be, yeah, small form factor, the smaller ones can actually be a lot harder, especially when it comes to finding things that will that will fit in there. And also they can actually be more expensive. As a matter of fact, I, I think pretty much they always are, uh, <laughs> especially because of the memory. But, um, you know, I guess my tip would be, hmm, what kind of tip would I use? Get a good air cooler. That's that's the biggest thing is air cooling. Cooling is the biggest problem in those type of systems. But they are really neat and they're fun to build. And you can use them. They can double as like HTPC. So if you like to stream stuff, um, if you have movies that you have saved on your drive, that's not as common these days with Netflix and all that. But, it, you know, you can do a lot with it. So Okay. Okay. Well, that's good to know because I do a lot of 
streaming, live streaming on my PC, playing games and or even just watching anime on my PC. So whatever works. And as long as it gets the job done, it works for me. <laughs> yeah, these these chips are surprisingly capable. I think, you know, can, compared to what you could get for the, for these kind of chips, just you know, three years ago, it, it is really amazing how much power they've crammed into them. So it's a really good deal. You should give it a shot. That's I'm almost awesome. tempted to send you a motherboard and a CPU. <laughs> it's, it's I mean, I'm open for it. <laughs> she's got some shelf space back there. So she's oh, got, room. I got plenty. <laughs> <laughs> so we have some questions coming in for you, Paul, on the 5600G. Um, one from Hustle and Motivate. Is this new APU compatible with fifty with the five thousand series boards? Yes, yes, it is. You will get it on. Let me make one hundred percent sure that I am telling you the correct thing. Uh, yeah, it's five hundred and some four hundred series motherboards. Now with APUs, so it'll be five hundred, four hundred. But with APUs, you always want to check the compatibility list on the motherboard that you're looking at. And even though it's it's compatible. A lot of these high-end motherboards do not have, um, they don't have a display out. So don't buy a motherboard that works with the chip but doesn't have a place to plug in your monitor. Um, that can actually happen. I have motherboards. It, it is very irritating because, as you would imagine, I have a lot of motherboards, right? Like a lot, <laughs> more than 100 probably. And some of wow. these motherboards, um, but that's a lot of generations, but that would work with this specific chip, probably at least 15. But the problem is, is only two of them actually have display outs, but they have BIOS support on a bunch of boards that um, they don't have display outs. So be sure to check compatibility and then be sure to check for a display out. And Paul, do you think this chip is good for streaming? Um, I would say that I would, I, that, that depends. That's such a loaded question. So it would depend upon what resolution that you're streaming at. On the CPU side, you have up to eight cores. You have eight cores with the 5700G. For um, CPU encoding, if you're doing it at low resolutions that you would game at with this type of an APU, like 1280 by 720, or maybe it'll handle that pretty easily. The six core would be able to do that as well. You might start running into a little bit of a problem with 1080p. But I think that if you adjusted your settings and you really worked at it, I could definitely see it happening. On the CPU side, you have a lot of horsepower there. It, they are Zen 3 cores, so they're pretty impressive. If you're using the CPU to do encoding, I, I would believe that you would be fine. So. Okay, we got time for a little uh, CPU 101 here. We have a question from Gem Sparkles. Um, they ask, for those of us just learning chips, can you please explain how the L3 cache affects performance and why 32 megabytes on the 5600X is better than the 16 megabytes on the 5600G you just tested? A metaphor or an analogy would be great. Can you okay. do that, Paul? Yes, yes. So <laughs> basically what this, what this boils down to is when it comes to L3 cache or any type of cache, the data that is kept the closest to the CPU is is it's faster for the CPU to grab that data and do compute operations against it. It's going to compute, right? If if you need to solve a math problem and you have to walk across the street to get the numbers that you're going to use, if it's five times three and you have to walk across the street to get the five and the three and then come back home and then do the math problem, 
that's a lot harder than if the numbers are written on the piece of paper right in front of you. It's faster. You don't have to get the data in order to do the math. So the closer that you can keep that data to the CPU cores where the actual work is done, the better. It's faster. So when you're running a game and things like that, or all kinds of code, and it really depends, but mo most everything will use will benefit from more L3 cache. Because what happens is, is you L3 cache is super duper fast, but the trade-off is that it's very small. So it's not as big as your RAM. Now, RAM takes forever compared to get data from RAM compared to how fast you can get it from your cache. Okay. So the very close, super fast memory is small. So you can only keep so many things in it. So you're essentially trying to keep the most important things in there, but there's going to be some numbers where you got to walk across the street again, which that's your main memory. Um, you can only hold so much data in the L3 cache. So more is better because anytime that you ask for something that's not in the cache, it takes longer to complete that operation. Okay. So you're trying to, I don't know if this is the best analogy in the world, but you're trying to keep, the data as close to the processor as possible. More data means that you can keep more data as close to the processor cores as possible. So that would be an explanation. <laughs> I think you came through with the analogy. What do you think, Victoria? Did you get that? Uh, I was I was following. I was following. Yeah. Oh. The closer yeah. <laughs> it is, the closer the information is to you, the better. And the more that you can keep there close to you, the better. So. That is the breakdown. Now, it does get a little bit confusing when you start talking about um, chiplet-based architectures, which like the 5600 and the 5800X is. They have a, an IO die. It, it, it gets a lot more complicated when you're discussing those types of chips, but as a general rule, because the latency can be higher. The latency is going to be lower for the single the monolithic die, which has the, the less L3. But we won't get into all of that. Just remember, the closer it is back. All right, so before we move on, um, I wanted to check with you. I'm sorry, am I echoing for everyone or just me? Sorry about that. Oh, well, it went away. I guess I got the magic, said the magic words. But Paul, before we moved on, I just wanted to ask you one more question about this chip. And definitely if you're watching and you have more questions, put them in, we'll try to get to it. But you mentioned it briefly, Paul, the GPU shortage. It's really hard to buy a graphics card right now. Um, do you think this APU and the other chips in the lineup could kind of, you know, serve as a filler right now for those people who really need graphics right now? And will these even be in stock readily enough to even have that conversation? I think that in terms of stock, I, I mean, we would hope that we'll see a lot of these in the market. But AMD with lower end chips has tended not to keep those in stocks. So when you look at, for instance, the 3300X is an amazing deal. You know, it's a quad core that's very cheap, but very, very fast, but it's a ghost. You haven't seen it in stock for a year. That And that was even before the shortages. So these cheaper, less expensive processors that are really, really good, that are a great, great value, they don't prioritize those even during the best of times, even when they have plenty of chips to sell, they haven't. Um, long before the shortages, you couldn't find that chip to save your life. So in this situation, I think that we'll see great availability at first, but I wouldn't hold my breath. I, I don't think that we're, it, it's hard to say, but going off of what we've seen in the past, I, I wouldn't expect there to be a ton of availability. I think for people that get it, it can serve a role as um, 
you know, a filler, but how much that makes sense. Um, if you later purchase a discrete GPU and continue to use this chip with the discrete GPU, I mean, I would probably advise at that point to just go ahead and sell the chip provided you can get another value chip to replace it. If you're going to, I, yeah, I, I would say very few people would probably do that as a long-term solution, but can you game on it? Sure. And if you're desperate and you, you know, you need something now and this is your only option. Absolutely. Um, Sanjay is asking, what is an equivalent GPU to a 5600G? I'm surprised that wasn't the first question. Um, so roughly, we, I was discussing that with uh, Sharon before the show. I was like, I yes. the first question is, is, what does it look like? Like a discrete GPU. Um, you're looking at roughly a 1030. Ooh. Give or take, it'll depend upon a, a GT 1030. Give or take, it will depend upon the game that you're playing. And it will depend upon how sensitive it is to memory throughput. Um, we haven't overclocked these chips yet. The We are doing it before the official launch, both of these. So the firmwares aren't complete and the overclocking is really rough. We could see a little bit of a change to that pecking order. Maybe when you overclock it and run the, the chips with faster memory, that's the key with APUs is to overclock the memory. Even more important than anything, if you're going to overclock it is to overclock the memory. So it might, after a little bit of tuning, go up above a 1030 we'll have to see i do have a 1030 that we will do comparisons um so that we can answer that question with numbers for the main reviews awesome so i'm going to share um paul's article in the chat right now so you can check out that preview um and if you have more questions keep them coming um but in the meantime victoria miss contradiction I knew you were coming on the show today to uh, talk to us about hacking a Super Nintendo Classic so that you can fit more games on it. Um, I know it's not quite the same, but I've got my retro console here, an N64. <laughs> I got my Tom's Hardware Hammer. Am I am I ready to get started? What do I do? No. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, put it away. We don't want anything to happen to that. <laughs> I'm making more room, I thought. I'm making more room. Okay. Of course, I'm just playing around, but Contravention, you are here to share some retro gaming insight with us on the Super Nintendo Classic. Uh, but first, for those who don't know, what exactly is the Super Nintendo Classic? The Super Nintendo Classic is pretty much a retro mini that was released by Nintendo. Uh, where they have about 20 to 30 built-in games that you can play easily. It's a really super easy plug-and-play system that you can have anywhere. Um, you can take it to your friend's house. You can play it in your living room. You can play it in your bedroom. And, yeah, it's just super simple way to play different types of games all in one place. So how many games are on it, and what can you do to change that? Well, for the Super Nintendo Classic, it's 20 built-in games. Uh, it's a variety of games. If you're interested, there's a whole list online, uh, like Donkey Kong, Super Mario, things like that. But to add more games, is recommended that you use different types of programs. A program that I would recommend is Hakchi. That's a program where you can put different types of games, whether that's from the Sega Genesis Mini, Super Nintendo Mini, as well as the NES Mini. Um, and assuming that you guys already have the ROMs, you can be able to transfer those ROMs onto the uh, 
Super Nintendo Classic through Hachi. So it's a super simple, easy way of being able to play those games, just like the 20 built-in games that comes with the system. Now, does that break the warranty for the console? Do you know? Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, it's it's discontinued, so I'm not sure if there oh, even oh, is a okay. warranty. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would I wouldn't know. <laughs> um, I didn't realize it's it was discontinued. discontinued. Okay. It's been discontinued for um, a short period of time, about two three years so far. Um, but if there's a warranty, I wouldn't know much about it, honestly. Um, that's just something that was recommended to me in order to play other games because I've noticed my frustrations with uh, a lot of Nintendo classics that I really wanted to play that didn't come with the uh, built-in game. So uh, that's just one way of being able to play a lot of my favorites uh, all on one system. So what were like, some of the first games you added once you figured this out? Oh, well... Uh, I added Chrono Trigger. That was an absolute must. That's one of my favorite RPGs of all time. Uh, I also made sure to add the Donkey Kong Country 2. That's with uh, the sister Dixie. There's a plethora of different types of games. Um, and by the time I got all my favorites, then I started adding other games that I never had a chance to play before. Um, it's, it's so many. It's so many titles to say. <laughs> it's so many titles. Um, Paul, I know at least today you're like a death to consoles guy. Like you're a hundred percent. I have a story about this thing, and I've been itching to say it this whole time. Go for it, Paul. Okay, talk Super to me. NES Classic Edition sold out in the United States immediately. They yes. were selling them on eBay for stupid money, right? And it was the big storyline, and we were covering it in news. You know, just as you know, I'm aware of it. You couldn't buy them forever and even when you could you had to pay scalper pricing so big story anyway i went to uh computex in taipei and when we were there uh, to cover the show as we do when we go cover trade shows we go to this computer mall in taipei and swear to god it was literally the only one in this massive computer building i mean there, it's actually two buildings i think it's four or five stories tall abram REIC could tell you he loves it he goes every year um, it was the only one in the whole place and I really hadn't planned on buying it, but I knew what was going on and it was a reasonable amount of money. Um, I had to go to an ATM and get money, you know, <laughs> Taiwanese dollars to, to buy it, but I actually bought it, um, at very close to in American dollars, retail pricing there. And I gave it to my son. So I have played it. That's my story. I thought you bought it for yourself for a moment. No, no, we all know how. <laughs> so I let me ask you, <laughs> even back in the day, you didn't play any consoles, any console oh, games? Yeah, of course. of course. Okay. Is there any Nintendo game you would get a retro console just to play now? Um, well, it was Mario Kart, of course, right? So, I mean, how can you not? But This, um, this is mostly for Mario Kart. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I mean... The the you know I, of course I played concert. I mean you have a soul <laughs> you have a soul right yes yes so uh, with, yeah oh, I was gonna ask Paul so what is your favorite console of all time favorite console of all time that's it that's it I mean I like them but I don't like them that much uh, oh <laughs> joking I'm just joking. I mean, to be honest, I play Xbox all the time. Xbox One is new, though. I mean, how do I say that 
Uh, Sega Dreamcast back in the day was pretty cool. My Dreamcast, wow. Had the, uh, mist on it. Like it was different. I, I'm not a real connoisseur of consoles, I do have to admit. But I have played probably every single one made because I'm old. So. Dreamcast is a really good one. That's an underrated console. Um, yeah. That introduced us to online gameplay. That's the reason why, you know, they set the standard for us playing multiplayer online um, because there were certain games like Fantasy Star Online that was introduced to us. And now, you know, it's the norm to play online on PlayStation Network or even Xbox. And now, look, we have Game Pass. We have PlayStation Now. It's like a plethora of different ways of playing games. So it's really cool to see the evolution of how we started versus where we are now. Yeah. So I remember it most for Mist. It was the first time I ever played that game. I liked it. So, uh, Victoria, the, you, you said the Super Nintendo Classic is discontinued. Are there any other products um, that you know of that you could recommend that kind of give you that whole retro gaming experience in one buy, you know, like with the controllers and everything you need to get started? Uh, well, if you are not, if anyone doesn't want to buy like the retro minis that come straight from Nintendo or even PlayStation for that matter, there's different things that you can use, such as like a Raspberry Pi. I know there's a lot of people who uh, use emulators for that matter. There's different ways of playing games, not necessarily a plug and play type of system. There's some work that you have to do. It's a little bit more technical compared to um, just downloading ROMs onto the retro mini, but there's different ways of doing it. So a lot of people play with emulators. Um, there's different ways of downloading games onto the Raspberry Pi. If you have a laptop or even a PC, you can be able to play games on your computer too. Like it's not necessary to uh, have to download or have to buy a particular system in order to play a game. So you can just go online and find something like can't really give you guys the websites, but uh, just do your own research to see what you can be able to play right in front of you. Okay, we're. I think I might be getting complaints on my mic. How am I sounding right now, team? Uh oh, am I? You can't hear me. Yeah, I can hear you. Here you sound, there it'll you do sound a good on my end. Thing. Here and there, it will do just a little scratchy thing, but it's not terrible. Terrible. All right, complain at me if it gets worse. I I hear all complaints. Um, so, Contravision, just before I forget, it's going to drive me insane. I need to know what Saiyans are on your Dragon Ball Z shirt, or I'm not going to be able to sleep tonight. <laughs> uh, I pretty much have everybody. Oh, she's um, got the whole old, squad. It has everybody on here. <laughs> Love it. I mean, it. Broly and, and other newer characters from um, Super are missing, but... It has the uh the whole gang on my shirt. <laughs> love it, love it. Well, uh, Contravision's gonna hang out with us for the rest of the show. So, um, if you have any questions for on retro gaming, anything like that, definitely um drop them into the chat. And we'll try to get into it. Um, but in the meantime, you know, I always love to give you guys um a look at what we have coming in and out of the Tom's Hardware Lab. So let's take a moment to check out what's in the lab. Da -da. All right, so right now I'm sitting in a brand new gaming chair. Um, it's the Secret Lab Titan Evo 2022. Yes, it's from the future, but it just came out Monday. And so let me give you a little look. So 
I've got the black version here with the fabric upholstery, but this, um, with this fabric upholstery, you can actually get it in a few different colors. There's actually a mint green one that I think I might be bold enough to try. I mean, I'm wearing a blue leopard dress, so I think I might be able to handle it, um, but I've got the black one here. Um, you can also opt for faux leather, which is a little bit cheaper, but the color options are um, a little more subdued. So you could see we got some logos in the back here, but they're pretty subtle in this um, dark finish. Um, so there are some unique features here. Um, one are in the armrests. They are actually magnetic. Let's see if I could get it to work with me. There we go. Um, so these come off magnetically. Um, it was helpful during assembly. These are actually faux leather tops here with um, foam stuffing within. They're pretty hard. And the reason they're removable is Secret Lab is actually going to release um, alternative tops one with the cooling gel, so you can get different um, feels here. Um, but this is a default one here, the faux leather. And it, again, made assembly a little bit easier. Another one of the big features here are in the lumbar support, so the area that supports your lower back. Um, there's a knob here for making that area stick out more or less for more or you know less support. And then another knob for moving that area, that bulge higher or lower um, on your back which I actually found a little bit less noticeable, but it lets you get a very fine level of, you know, customization that you want for your comfort. Um, another thing you might notice is the neck pillow here, pretty standard, but usually there's a strap, you know, attaching it to the headrest. So you don't see that here, but you might think, oh, like the pillow's permanently attached, but it's not. Through the magic of magnets, <laughs> the pillow is actually pretty adjustable. Um, it didn't really fall too much unless I was reclining, but it usually, as you could see, sticks pretty well to the chair. And How well we can does that stay on there? Pretty well. So when I'm reclining, it would fall sometimes, but if I'm just sitting upright and moving around and whatnot, it doesn't move. It's been on there the whole time. It didn't slide at all. Um, so it's pretty interesting, but sometimes, you know, you knock into it, it'll come off or if you recline. Um, but here yeah, we can take a look. I could, you know, I'm, I'm all over the place. <laughs> like banging on your pillow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so here we can take a closer look at it because I actually love Secret Labs pillows. It's really soft velour here. Um, you could see I'm squeezing it, kind of get a feel for the density and how it, you know, uh, returns back to shape. Here's another angle that lets you look at it. Um, from a different view. So besides that, you get, you know, all of the adjustments you'd expect from, you know, a gaming chair. Another one um, are in these armrests that move quite a bit. You get the up and down, which is standard, but goes in diagonally like that, forward, forward and back and um, in and out. Let's see. There we go. In and out. There you go. A little movement there. So a lot to take in. Um, but let me tell you a little bit about the pricing. Um, so depending on the size and the upholstery you get, it starts at $430 and goes all the way up to $520. So mine here is like a middle middle size and the more expensive fabric upholstery, and that's going for $470. So either way, that's a decent amount of money. So definitely want to check out our review before investing, um, our review on tomshardware.com, of course. I'm actually going to drop that link in the chat now so you can all take a look. Um, if you have any questions, let me know. But first, I want to hear from my guests. Um, 
let's start with you, Contradiction. What do you think about the Titan Eva? Well, uh, it seems like a really cool chair. <laughs> um, I I have a gaming chair myself, but it's not a Titan chair. So it looks nice from my view. It looks comfortable. I like how you can move the uh, the armrests back and forth, like if necessary, um, especially for people who may have different types of body sizes. That can be pretty helpful to adjust when necessary. So that's pretty cool. What do you think, Paul? Four hundred seventy dollars for this bad boy. So oh. you know, four seventy. Four seventy. Yeah, for this size and this finish. Do you have? Wait, do you want to change your opinion, Victoria? <laughs> uh, it's nice, but not four seventy. Nice. It's so, gonna be yeah. Nice. So that's kind of the thing is, you know, with with office chairs, I'm a big guy, so I go through. Uh, in the past. I had gone through a lot of office chairs and I would buy, you know, uh, eventually they became more and more expensive. If it, it, then if you buy the big and tall chairs that will actually last, because I'll kill a normal office chair in like six months because I, I spend a lot of time there, you know, because um, I work. And um, so I did get accustomed to paying $350 for chairs that will last a long time. You have to go to buy the big and tall chairs. Right. So, you know, 470 is not all that crazy considering that I've become accustomed to paying as much, but looking at it, I don't know. It looks comfortable, but I, I can see that chair um, maybe not being the best fit for me, but I mean, it looks comfortable. I don't know about the, the magnetic thing. It looks very soft, but I know I would knock that thing on awesome. Yeah, I'm not a big neck pillow fan person in general because I usually just like push my head forward and or mess up my hair or a little bit of both. So I normally get rid of them, but I don't know. I would like to find another use for it because it's just so soft. But yeah, yeah the part so soft, that's the thing. Yeah. It looks like it'd be comfortable. Yeah. Right? Is that what like the rest of the foam is kind of is probably thicker than that though, right? A lot. Thicker. Oh yeah, it's it's quite a firm chair. I do think it'll last quite a while. The fabric is very tightly, the thread is very tightly woven that I don't think things will get snagged upon it very well. And it's built like a quality name brand chair. Like it's not crappy plastic or it does seem quite durable. But yeah, it is a lot of money. Mega ZX456 is saying, I hope it includes a back massager and foot recliner for that price. It does not. So if somebody wants to send me one, go on. <laughs> There's a Shack branded chair at Office Depot for like 550 and I almost had a heart attack, but it's got Shack there, a real life Shack there showing, cause you know, big people need those really tough chairs. And uh, yeah, if it fits Shack, It'll fit a I lot mean, of yeah, people. Yeah, so I mean, 470 is a lot, but it's not totally unheard of for sure. But that is a lot. What do you think? So, of course, you could check out my full review. But yeah, no, I think this is a very good chair. The price is a little high. Um, It's also higher than their prior chair, which I liked a little bit more because I actually like a lot of lumbar support. And that chair had an extra pillow for the lumbar. Um, so yeah, it is a little bit overpriced, I think, but it's still a good chair that, um, if I was going to invest in, I would, um, go for this chair, but they sell the secret lab Omega, which is slightly cheaper available for now until they run out. So you might want to check that out too. And to answer hustling motivates question on the lumbar support. So yeah, there's an adjustable lumbar area integrated into the back of the chair. You could turn a knob to make that lumbar area stick out more or less. Um, and you can move it again up or down your back. 
and that's all there is for lumbar support. You can pay extra if you want to buy a pillow, but it's currently integrated into the backrest. Um, we got some more questions on the Titan Evo. What is the fabric? Um, so they call it soft weave. It's basically like cotton thread interwoven very tightly together, I would say. And then again, you can offer fake leather. They are coming out with a real leather version eventually, but it's going to be probably quite expensive. Yeah, um, yeah. heart attack. <laughs> and then they ask Hustle Motivates asking for a weight requirement. So this chair actually comes in three sizes and they all have different height and weight recommendations. So I'm in the middle size one. It's for people I think five seven to six two ish and I think max two twenty pounds, two hundred twenty pounds, something like that. Um but yeah, you could double check our review on this site. They have three different sizes. Um, so yeah, I think we have time now for some other questions that we didn't get to. Let's take a look. There are a few I saw. Um, Paul, how well does a 5600G overclock? Do you even recommend overclocking it? Anybody who knows me would tell you I always recommend overclocking, even if it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But I mean, just it's fun. But um, so with your 5600G and 5700G, what you're going to benefit most from, they're very complicated, uh, to be honest, when you overclock them. They're probably the hardest kind of chips to overclock because you have, on a normal chip, you're really just worried about the CPU and the memory. But with this one, you're also adding a GPU. And if you clock your CPU cores real high, it's going to create some heat and power draw that's going to could make mean you can't clock the GPU as high. So... And conversely, the same thing. You can go higher on the GPU if you don't overclock the CPU at all. But when you start overclocking all of these things together, you have to balance. It can be very tricky. The big thing is, is if you want just the fastest, easiest way to get more performance out of these chips is just overclock the memory. Because um, the GPUs are very sensitive to bandwidth. And you can run them with real sloppy timings. The big thing is... You know, if you're into that sort of thing, you, there a lot of the memory overclockers would say that sometimes, you you know, people will run APUs at very high bandwidth, but with sloppy timing. So, um, but that's fine with an APU because it boosts the GPU performance tremendously. So just run it with memory, uh, you know, run it with some memory overclocking and maybe a little bit on the GPU. I don't think you really need to do too much with the CPU side of it. Um, there will be a balance and it can be tricky, but you can hit really high memory overclocks because the infinity fabric on these on uh, APUs has always for uh, AMD's APUs overclocked better than memory fabric on the regular standard chips because standard chips have chiplets. This is a monolithic die. It's one piece of silicon. So the memory will run super fast in the, because you can kick the fabric up high. This is a general thing. Yes, I would recommend overclocking. Awesome, and we have a question from Gem Sparkles on the Titan Evo chair. Will any of the optional armrests include a cup holder? A gaming chair with a cup holder would be great. So again, they're talking about how these uh, armrests are replaceable. Seeker Lab has only told me about one with a cooling gel, like a just for a different texture and to keep your, I guess, arms cool or your elbows cool. They have not mentioned one with a um, cup holder. That does sound like a really good idea. Except I don't. I would probably knock my coffee over all the time. What, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Would you get down on that, Victoria? Would you like a cup holder in your gaming chair? Um, 
I feel like if I get a cup holder in my gaming chair, I'm never leaving my gaming chair. <laughs> uh, what's next? I'm going to get like a little, actually, that's smart now. Have a, like, a little <laughs> snack compartment on the side of, right here, you know, just, you know, it's a little pocket right beside the um the arm or something like that. Put my little chips or snacks or whatever right there in my drink right here. Oh, that kind of sounds kind of cool now. Now that I'm thinking about it. I only yeah, I think- drink coffee, so that you know, it's hot. <laughs> <laughs> if you spill it, it's not going to be the greatest experience. Yeah, and it's going toward a certain area, so yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, we got a question for you, Victoria. Um, Gem Sparkles asks: Nintendo has a subscription service for Switch with a decent library of retro NES and Super NES games. What are your thoughts of the service? Have you heard of uh, it? Uh, I've heard of it. Uh, I am a Nintendo Switch owner as well. I'm a bit indifferent about the service because there's, at the time when they first started the service, they didn't have that many games. Um, usually that's the type of service that people use if they want to play Tetris or Mario Kart, something to that effect. But then again, if we really look at the whole spectrum of like, subscription services with video games. I think that Xbox is doing a really good job when it comes to Game Pass, because not only do you play like current up-to-date games, but you can also play older games from as old as the OG Xbox. So um, I'm pretty indifferent when it comes to Nintendo subscription service. I think there is a little bit more that they can do to make it much better. But in the meantime, just enjoy it for what it is. If you love Tetris and you have a Switch, Go for it. Play it on there. Um, I don't know. I I think that different companies are doing just a little bit more to be more um, consumer friendly because not everyone can own a Super Nintendo or NES. But, you know, a subscription service like that, if you want to play a Super Nintendo game, then see what they can find on there and play it. (laughs) Some good advice there. Um, and I think we have time for another one from Magazine X456 for Paul. Um, would the 5700G be worth the additional $100 or is the 5600G good for the value? I wouldn't um, recommend spending that much money for the 5700G. Um, no, I don't think that it's a great value. I think that the 5600G, there are a few use cases where the 5700G would make a little more sense. It has two more CPU cores. So if you do a lot of workstation type work, or maybe not even workstation, but just applications, rendering, encoding, things of that nature, um, you'll know if you're doing a lot of CPU intensive work regularly, then it might make a little bit more sense. But if you're just doing day-to-day use and you're not doing a whole lot of these real CPU intensive tasks and you're there for gaming, then the 5700G is absolutely not a good value. 5600G gives you exactly 96% of the performance measured over a bunch of different titles, of course, but we did extensive testing. So, you know, 96% of the gaming performance, but you save a hundred dollars or 30%. That's a, it's hard to pay that much more for that little more. So, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, if you're going to pair the 5700G with the discrete GPU, you could probably get a little bit more uh, speed because the CPU is a little faster. But really, that's not the use case for this. And, you know, the use case is just to use the chip and the GPU. So, yeah. 
And I'm going to squeeze in one more question here for you, Paul. What's the maximum resolution I can expect from the 5600G? Can I use a 4K monitor with it? Yes, but you're not going to game at 4K. So it depends upon, I mean, if you're just looking for a display out, sure. Um, you know, if you're just looking to render your desktop, that's fine. Um, you know, uh, get on the internet, essentially, you know, do your daily desktop PC type activities. But once you game, you're going to have to kick it down. Um, 1080, you can do some gaming on it with a lot of different titles. You're going to have to accept lower quality settings. Mm -hmm. um, some of the titles that you wouldn't think you could be able to play, you probably could. If you look at for some dedicated guides from guys like Low Spec Alex, you know, they, they, they can make AAA games run on a potato, uh, you know, on any <laughs> smartwatch. So I think that you could get a little, you know, as long as you're prepared to sacrifice fidelity, you can do quite a, a surprising amount of 1080p. And with 1280, I, you can play anything with pretty decent settings. So. Yeah, the 4K is a 4K gaming is a, it's a, it's a tough tough deal. Yeah, we need yeah. a lot. <laughs> I, I don't know that many people who play games 4K. <laughs> uh, 1080p more than likely or 1440p, but 4K that's a different ball game. It sure is. Yeah, I mean you're definitely not going to do it with a little tiny chip like this, even big, very expensive. Um, you know. 300, 400 watt, whatever, GPUs, overclock, can, can struggle with that. So. Great. Well, thank you to everyone for all your questions and for tuning in. Um, while I have you, please don't forget to like us on Facebook, YouTube, check out our Twitch channel so you can hang out with us all the time and enjoy all the Tom's hardware fun. Um, the show is also available as a podcast, so don't forget that. Thank you to Paul for stopping by. Check out his 5600G. Oh testing on our website right now and a massive thanks to contraviction for coming by um victoria where can the viewers go if they want to get more into retro gaming with you well uh you can catch me on youtube i do have my own youtube channel where we play a lot of retro games live we discuss retro games and sometimes we even interview different people within the gaming industry so whether they're developers um journalists, or even some of your favorite content creators, they are, there is an opportunity for everyone to be able to ask whatever questions they want um, when it's premiered. Like we have a lot, of, we have a whole bunch of stuff going on. So catch us over there on YouTube. And we also post every day on social media as well. So if you go on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, I'm there. <laughs> Awesome. And stay tuned to tomshardware.com. We'll have Victoria's story on hacking the Super Nintendo Classic in the coming days. So that is our show, everyone. Thank you for your time. We'll see you next Thursday. Thanks, guys. Bye.